Chapter Seventeen of the Montessori Method. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Montessori Method by Maria Montessori, translated by Anne E. George. Chapter Seventeen: Description of the Method and Didactic Material Used. First Period. Exercise tending to develop the muscular mechanism necessary in holding and using the instrument in writing. Design preparatory to writing, didactic material. Small wooden tables, metal insets, outline drawings, colored pencils. I have among my materials two little wooden tables, the tops of which form an inclined plane, sloping toward a narrow cornice, which prevents objects placed upon the table from slipping off. The top of each table is just large enough to hold four of the square frames into which the metal plane geometric insets are fitted, and is so painted as to represent three of these brown frames, each containing a square center of the same dark blue as the centers of the metal insets. The metal insets are in dimension and form a reproduction of the series of plane geometric insets in wood already described. Exercises Placed side by side upon the teacher's desk, or upon one of the little tables belonging to the children, these two little tables may have the appearance of being one long table containing eight figures. The child may select one or more figures, taking at the same time the frame of the inset. The analogy between these metal insets and the plain geometric insets of wood is complete. But in this case, the child can freely use the pieces, where before he arranged them in the wooden frame. He first takes the metal frame, places it upon a sheet of white paper, and with a colored pencil draws around the contour of the empty center. Then he takes away the frame, and upon the paper there remains a geometric figure. This is the first time that the child has reproduced through design a geometric figure. Until now, he has only placed the geometric insets above the figures delineated on the three series of cards. He now places upon the figure, which he himself has drawn, the metal inset, just as he placed the wooden inset upon the cards. His next act is to follow the contour of this inset with a pencil of a different color. Lifting the metal piece, he sees the figure reproduced upon the paper in two colors. Here, for the first time, is born the abstract concept of the geometric figure, for, from two metal pieces so different in form as the frame and the inset, there has resulted the same design, which is a line expressing a determined figure. This fact strikes the attention of the child. He often marvels to find the same figure reproduced by means of two pieces so different, and looks for a long time with evident pleasure at the duplicate design, almost as if it were actually produced by the objects which serve to guide his hand. Besides all this, the child learns to trace lines determining figures. There will come a day in which, with still greater surprise and pleasure, he will trace graphic designs determining words. After this, he begins the work which directly prepares for the formation of the muscular mechanism relative to the holding and manipulation of the instrument of writing. With a colored pencil of his own selection, held, as the pen is held in writing, he fills in the figure which he has outlined. We teach him not to pass outside the contour, and in doing so we attract his attention to this contour, and thus fix the idea that a line may determine a figure. The exercise of filling in one figure alone causes the child to perform repeatedly the movement and manipulation which would be necessary to fill ten copybook pages with vertical strokes. And yet, 
the child feels no weariness because although he makes exactly the muscular coordination which is necessary to the work he does so freely and in any way that he wishes while his eyes are fixed upon a large and brightly colored figure at first the children fill pages and pages of paper with these big squares triangles ovals trapezoids coloring them red orange green blue light blue and pink gradually they limit themselves to the use of the dark blue and brown both in drawing the figure and in filling it in thus reproducing the appearance of the metal piece itself many of the children quite of their own accord make a little orange-colored circle in the center of the figure in this way representing the little brass button by which the metal piece is to be held they take great pleasure in feeling that they have reproduced exactly like true artists the objects which they see before them on the little shelf observing the successive drawings of a child there is revealed to us a duplicate form of progression first little by little the lines tend less and less to go outside the enclosing line until at last they are perfectly contained within it and both the centre and the frame are filled in with close and uniform strokes second the strokes with which the child fills in the figures from being at first short and confused become gradually longer and more nearly parallel until in many cases the figures are filled in by means of perfectly regular up and down strokes extending from one side of the figure to the other in such a case it is evident that the child is master of the pencil the muscular mechanism necessary to the management of the instrument of writing is established we may therefore by examining such designs arrive at a clear idea of the maturity of the child in the matter of holding the pencil or pen in hand to vary these exercises we use the outline drawings already described through these designs the manipulation of the pencil is perfected for they oblige the child to make lines of various lengths and make him more and more secure in his use of the pencil if we could count the lines made by a child in the filling in of these figures and could transform them into the signs used in writing they would fill many many copybooks indeed the security which our children attain is likened to that of children in our ordinary third elementary grade when for the first time they take a pen or a pencil in hand they know how to manage it almost as well as a person who has written for a long time i do not believe that any means can be found which will so successfully and in so short a space of time establish this mastery and with it all the child is happy and diverted my old method for the deficients that of following with a small stick the contours of raised letters was when compared with this barren and miserable even when the children know how to write they continue these exercises which furnish an unlimited progression since the designs may be varied and complicated the children follow in each design essentially the same movements and acquire a varied collection of pictures which grow more and more perfect and of which they are very proud for i not only provoke but perfect the writing through the exercises which we call preparatory the control of the pen is rendered more and more secure not by repeated exercises in the writing but by means of these filled-in designs in this way my children perfect themselves in writing without actually writing second period exercising tending to establish the visual muscular image of the alphabetical signs and to establish the muscular memory of the movements necessary to writing didactic material 
cards upon which the single letters of the alphabet are mounted in sandpaper, larger cards containing groups of the same letters. The cards upon which the sandpaper letters are mounted are adapted in size and shape to each letter. The vowels are in light-colored sandpaper and are mounted upon dark cards. The consonants and the groups of letters are in black sandpaper mounted upon white cards. The grouping is so arranged as to call attention to contrasted or analogous forms. The letters are cut in clear script form, the shaded parts being made broader. We have chosen to reproduce the vertical script in use in the elementary schools. Exercises In teaching the letters of the alphabet, we begin with the vowels and proceed to the consonants, pronouncing the sound, not the name. In the case of the consonants, we immediately unite the sound with one of the vowel sounds, repeating the syllable according to the usual phonetic method. The teaching proceeds according to the three periods already illustrated. First, association of the visual and muscular tactile sensation with the letter sound. The directness presents to the child two of the cards upon which vowels are mounted, or two of the consonants, as the case may be. Let us suppose that we present the letters I and O, saying, This is I, this is O. As soon as we have given the sound of a letter, we have the child trace it, taking care to show him how to trace it, and if necessary, guiding the index finger of his right hand over the sandpaper letter in the sense of writing. Knowing how to trace will consist in knowing the direction in which a given graphic sign must be followed. The child learns quickly, and his finger, already expert in the tactile exercise, is led by the slight roughness of the fine sandpaper over the exact track of the letter. He may then repeat indefinitely the movements necessary to produce the letters of the alphabet without the fear of the mistakes of which a child writing with a pencil for the first time is so conscious. If he deviates, the smoothness of the card immediately warns him of his error. The children, as soon as they have become at all expert in this tracking of the letters, take great pleasure in repeating it with closed eyes, letting the sandpaper lead them and following the form which they do not see. Thus the perception will be established by the direct muscular tactile sensation of the letter. In other words, it is no longer the visual image of the letter, but the tactile sensation which guides the hand of the child in these movements which thus become fixed in the muscular memory. There develop contemporaneously three sensations when the directress shows the letters to the child and has him trace it. The visual sensation, the tactile sensation, and the muscular sensation. In this way, the image of the graphic sign is fixed in a much shorter space of time than when it was, according to ordinary methods, acquired only through the visual image. It will be found that the muscular memory is in the young child the most tenacious and, at the same time, the most ready. Indeed, he sometimes recognizes the letters by touching them when he cannot do so by looking at them. These images are, besides all this, contemporaneously associated with the alphabetical sound. Second, perception. The child should know how to compare and to recognize the figures when he hears the sounds corresponding to them. The directress asks the child, for example, Give me O, give me I. If the child does not recognize the letters by looking at them, she invites him to trace them, but if he still does not recognize them, the lesson is ended and may be resumed another day. I have already spoken of the necessity of not revealing the error and of not insisting in the teaching when the child does not respond readily. Third, Language. Allowing the letters to lie for some instance upon the table, the directress asks the child, What is this? And he should respond, Oh, I. In teaching the consonants, 
the directress pronounces only the sound and as soon as she has done so unites with it a vowel pronouncing the syllable thus formed and alternating this little exercise by the use of different vowels she must always be careful to emphasize the sound of the consonant repeating it by itself as for example m m m ma ma me mi ma ma when the child repeats the sound he isolates it and then accompanies it with the vowel it is not necessary to teach all the vowels before passing to the consonants and as soon as the child knows one consonant he may begin to compose words questions of this sort however are left to the judgment of the educator i do not find it practical to follow a special rule in the teaching of the consonants often the curiosity of the child concerning a letter leads us to teach that desired consonant a name pronounced may awaken in him a desire to know what consonants are necessary to compose it and this will or willingness of the pupil is a much more efficacious means than any rule concerning the progression of the letters when the child pronounces the sounds of the consonants he experiences an evident pleasure it is a great novelty for him this series of sounds so varied and yet so distinct presenting such enigmatic signs of the as the letters of the alphabet there is mystery about all this which provokes most decided interest one day i was on the terrace while the children were having their free games i had with me a little boy of two years and a half left with me for a moment by his mother scattered about upon a number of chairs were the alphabets which we use in the school these had become mixed and i was putting the letters back into their respective compartments having finished my work i placed the boxes upon two of the little chairs near me little boy watched me finally he drew near to the box and took one of the letters in his hand it chanced to be an f at that moment the children who were running in single file passed us and seeing the letter called out in chorus the corresponding sound and passed on the child paid no attention to them but put back the f and took up an r the children running by again looked at him laughing and then began to cry out r r r r r r little by little the boy understood that when he took a letter in hand the children who were passing cried out a sound this amused him so much that i wished to observe how long he would persist in the game without becoming tired he kept it up for three quarters of an hour the children had become interested in the child and grouped themselves about him pronouncing the sounds in chorus and laughing at his pleased surprise he kept it up for three quarters of an hour the children had become interested in the child and grouped themselves about him pronouncing the sounds in chorus and laughing at his pleased surprise at last after he had several times held up f and had received from his public the same sound he took the letter again showing it to me and saying f f f he had learned this from out of the great confusion of sounds which he had heard the long letter which had first arrested the attention of the running children had made a great impression upon him it is not necessary to show how the separate pronunciation of the alphabetical sounds reveals the condition of the child's speech defects which are almost all related to the incomplete development of the language itself manifest themselves and the directress may take note of them one by one in this way she will be possessed of a record of the child's progress which will help her in her individual teaching and will reveal much concerning the development of the language in this particular child in the matter of correcting linguistic defects we will find it helpful to follow the physiological rules relating to the child's development and to modify the difficulties in the presentation of our lesson 
when however the child's speech is sufficiently developed and when he pronounces all the sounds it does not matter which of the letters we select in our lessons many of the defects which have become permanent in adults are due to functional errors in the development of the language during the period of infancy if for the attention which we pay to the correction of linguistic defects in children in the upper grades we would substitute a direction of the development of the language while the child is still young our results would be much more practical and valuable in fact many of the defects in pronunciation arise from the use of a dialect and these it is almost impossible to correct after the period of childhood they may however be most easily removed through the use of educational methods especially adapted to the perfecting of the language in little children we do not speak here of actual linguistic defects related to anatomical or physiological weaknesses or to pathological facts which alter the function of the nervous system i speak at present only of those irregularities which are due to a repetition of incorrect sounds or to the imitation of imperfect pronunciation such defects may show themselves in the pronunciation of any one of the consonant sounds and i can conceive of no more practical means for a methodical correction of speech defects than this exercise in pronunciation which is a necessary part in learning the graphic language through my method but such important questions deserve a chapter to themselves turning directly to the method used in teaching writing i may call attention to the fact that it is contained in the two periods already described such exercises have made it possible for the child to learn and to fix the muscular mechanism necessary to the proper holding of the pen and to the making of the graphic signs if he has exercised himself for a sufficiently long time in these exercises he will be potentially ready to write all the letters of the alphabet and all of the simple syllables without ever having taken chalk or pencil in his hand we have in addition to this begun the teaching of reading at the same time that we have been teaching writing when we present a letter to the child enunciated sound he fixes the image of this letter by means of the visual sense and also by means of the muscular tactile sense he associates the sound with its related sign that is he relates the sound to the graphic sign but when he sees and recognizes he reads and when he traces he writes thus his mind receives as one two acts which later on as he develops will separate coming to constitute the two diverse processes of reading and writing by teaching these two acts contemporaneously or better by their fusion we place the child before a new form of language without determining which of the acts constituting it should be most prevalent we do not trouble ourselves as to whether the child in the development of this process first learns to read or to write or if the one or the other will be the easier we must rid ourselves of all preconceptions and must await from experience the answer to these questions we may expect that individual differences will show themselves in the prevalence of one or the other act in the development of different children this makes possible the most interesting psychological study of the individual and should broaden the work of this method which is based upon the free expansion of individuality third period exercises for the composition of words didactic material this consists chiefly of alphabets the letters of the alphabet used here are identical in form and dimension with the sandpaper ones already described but these are cut out of cardboard and are not mounted in this way each letter represents an object which can be easily handled by the child and placed wherever he wishes it 
There are several examples of each letter, and I have designed cases in which the alphabets may be kept. These cases or boxes are very shallow, and are divided and subdivided into many compartments, in each one of which I have placed a group of four copies of the same letter. The compartments are not equal in size, but are measured according to the dimensions of the letters themselves. At the bottom of each compartment is glued a letter which is not to be taken out. This letter made of black cardboard and relieves the child of the fatigue of hunting about for the right compartment when he is replacing the letters in the case after he has used them. The vowels are cut from blue cardboard and the consonants from red. In addition to these alphabets, we have a set of the capital letters mounted in sandpaper upon cardboard, and another in which they are cut from cardboard. The numbers are treated in the same way. Exercises As soon as the child knows some of the vowels and the consonants, we place before him the big box containing all the vowels and the consonants which he knows. The directress pronounces very clearly a word, for example, mama, brings out the sound of the M very distinctly, repeating the sound a number of times. Almost always the little one with an impulse movement seizes an M and places it upon the table. The directress repeats ma, ma. The child selects the A and places it near the M. He then composes the other syllable very easily. But the reading of the word which he has composed is not so easy. Indeed, he generally succeeds in reading it only after a certain effort. In this case, I help the child, urging him to read and read the word with him once or twice, always pronouncing very distinctly, Mama, Mama. But once he has understood the mechanism of the game, the child goes forward by himself and becomes intensely interested. We may pronounce any word, taking care only that the child understands separately the letters of which it is composed. He composes the new word, placing one after the other the signs corresponding to the word. It is most interesting indeed to watch the child at this work. Intensely attentive, he sits watching the box, moving his lips almost imperceptibly, and taking one by one the necessary letters, rarely committing an error in spelling. The movement of the lips reveals the fact that he repeats to himself an infinite number of times the words whose sounds he is translating into signs. Although the child is able to compose any word which is clearly pronounced, we generally dictate to him only those words which are well known, since we wish his composition to result in an idea. When these familiar words are used, he spontaneously rereads many times the word he has composed, repeating its sounds in a thoughtful, contemplative way. The importance of these exercises is very complex. The child analyzes, perfects, fixes his own spoken language, placing an object in correspondence to every sound which he utters. The composition of the word furnishes him with substantial proof of the necessity for clear and forceful enunciation. The exercise thus followed associates the sound which is heard with the graphic sign which represents it, and lays a most solid foundation for accurate and perfect spelling. In addition to this, the composition of the words is in itself an exercise of intelligence. The word which is pronounced presents to the child a problem which he must solve, and he will do so by remembering the signs, selecting them from among others, and arranging them in the proper order. He will have the proof of the exact solution to his problem when he re-reads the word, this word which he has composed, and which represents for all those who know how to read it an idea.
When the child hears others read the word he has composed, he wears an expression of satisfaction and pride, and is possessed by a species of joyous wonder. He is impressed by this correspondence, carried on between himself and others by means of symbols. The written language represents for him the highest attainment reached by his own intelligence, and is at the same time the reward of a great achievement. When the pupil has finished the composition and the reading of the word we gave him, according to the habits of order which we try to establish in connection with all our work, put away all the letters, each one in its own compartment. In composition, pure and simple, therefore, the child unites the two exercises of comparison and of selection of the graphic signs. The first, when from the entire box of letters before him he takes those necessary, the second, when he seeks the compartment in which each letter must be replaced. There are, then, three exercises united in this one effort, all three uniting to fix the image of the graphic sign corresponding to the sounds of the word. The work of learning is in this case facilitated in three ways, and the ideas are acquired in a third of the time which would have been necessary with the old methods. We shall soon see that the child, on hearing the word or on thinking of a word which he already knows, will see with his mind's eye all the letters necessary to compose the word arrange themselves. He will reproduce this vision with a facility most surprising to us. One day a little boy four years old, running alone about the terrace, was heard to repeat many times, To make Zera I must have Z-A-I-R-A. Another time Professor Didonato in a visit to the children's house, pronounced his own name for a four-year-old child. The child was composing the name, using small letters and making it all one word, and had begun thus, D-I-T-O-N, Diton. The professor at once pronounced the word more distinctly, Di-do-nato, whereupon the child, without scattering the letters, picked up the syllable To and placed it to one side, putting do in the empty space. He then placed an A after the N, and taking up the TO which he had put aside, completed the word with it. This made it evident that the child, when the word was pronounced more clearly, understood that the syllable TO did not belong at that place in the word, realized that it belonged at the end of the word, and therefore placed it aside until he should need it. This was most surprising in a child of four years, and amazed all of those present. It can be explained by the clear and, at the same time, complex vision of the signs which the child must have, if he is to form a word which he hears spoken. This extraordinary act was largely due to the orderly mentality which the child had acquired through repeated spontaneous exercises tending to develop his intelligence. These three periods contain the entire method for the acquisition of written language. The significance of such a method is clear. The psychophysiological acts which unite to establish reading and writing are prepared separately and carefully. The muscular movements peculiar to the making of the signs or letters are prepared apart, and the same is true of the manipulation of the instrument of writing. The composition of the words also is reduced to a psychic mechanism of association between images heard and seen. There comes a moment in which the child, without thinking of it, fills in the geometric figures with an up and down stroke, which is free and regular a moment in which he touches the letters with closed eyes, and in which he reproduces their form, making his finger through the air, a moment in which the composition of words has become a psychic impulse, which makes the child, even when alone, repeat to himself, 
To make Zara, I must have Z-A-I-R-A. Now this child, it is true, has never written, but he has mastered all the acts necessary to writing. The child who, when taking dictation, not only knows how to compose the word, but instantly embraces in his thought its composition as a whole, will be able to write, since he knows how to make, with his eyes closed, the movements necessary to produce these letters, and since he manages almost unconsciously the instrument of writing. More than this, the freedom with which the child has acquired this mechanical dexterity makes it possible for the impulse or spirit to act at any time through the medium of his mechanical ability. He should, sooner or later, come into his full power by way of a spontaneous explosion into writing. This is indeed the marvelous reaction which has come from my experiment with normal children. In one of the children's houses, directed by Signora Bettini, I had been especially careful in the way in which writing was taught, and we have had from this school most beautiful specimens of writing, and for this reason, perhaps I cannot do better than to describe the development of the work in this school. One beautiful December day, when the sun shone and the air was like spring, I went up on the roof of the children. They were playing freely about, and a number of them were gathered about me. I was sitting near a chimney and said to a little five-year-old boy who sat beside me, Draw me a picture of this chimney, giving him as I spoke a piece of chalk. He got down obediently and made a rough sketch of the chimney on the tiles which formed the floor of this roof terrace. As is my custom with little children, I encouraged him, praising his work. The child looked at me, smiled, remained for a moment as if on the point of bursting with some joyous act, and then cried out, I can write, I can write. And kneeling down again, he wrote on the pavement the word hand. Then, full of enthusiasm, he wrote also chimney, roof. As he wrote, he continued to cry out, I can write, I know how to write. His cries of joy brought the other children, who formed a circle about him, looking down at his work in stupefied amazement. Two or three of them said to me, trembling with excitement, Give me the chalk, I can write too. And indeed they began to write various words, Mama, Hand, John, Chimney, Ada. Not one of them had ever taken chalk or any other instrument in hand for the purpose of writing. It was the first time that they had ever written, and they traced an entire word as a child, when speaking for the first time, speaks the entire word. The first word spoken by a baby causes the mother ineffable joy. The child has chosen, perhaps, the word mother, seeming to render thus a tribute to maternity. The first word written by my little ones aroused within themselves an indescribable emotion of joy. Not being able to adjust in their minds the connection between the preparation and the act, they were possessed by the illusion that, having now grown to the proper size, they knew how to write. In other words, writing seemed to them only one among the many gifts of nature. They believe that, as they grow bigger and stronger, there will come some beautiful day when they shall know how to write. And indeed, this is what it is in reality. The child who speaks first prepares himself unconsciously, perfecting the psychomuscular mechanism which leads to the articulation of the word. In the case of writing, the child does almost the same thing, but the direct pedagogical help and the possibility of preparing the movements for writing in an almost material way causes the ability to write to develop much more rapidly and more perfectly than the ability to speak correctly. In spite of the ease with which this is accomplished, the preparation is not partial, but complete. The child possesses all the movements necessary for writing, and written language develops not gradually, but in an explosive way. That is, the child can write any word, such was our first experience in the development of the written language in our children. Those first days 
we were a prey to deep emotions. It seems as if we walked in a dream, and as if we assisted at some miraculous achievement. The child who wrote a word for the first time was full of excited joy. He might be compared to the hen who has just laid an egg. Indeed, no one could escape from the noisy manifestations of the little one. He would call everyone to see, and if there were some who did not go, he ran to take hold of their clothes, forcing them to come and see. We all had to go and stand about the written word to admire the marvel, and to unite our exclamations of surprise with the joyous cries of the fortunate author. Usually the first word was written on the floor, and then the child knelt down before it in order to be nearer to his work and to contemplate it more closely. After the first word, the children, with a species of frenzied joy, continued to write everywhere. I saw children crowding about one another at the blackboard, and behind the little ones who were standing on the floor another line would form consisting of children mounted upon chairs, so that they might write above the heads of the little ones. In a fury at being thwarted, other children, in order to find a little place where they might write, overturned the chairs upon which their companions were mounted. Others ran toward the window shutters or the door, covering them with writing. In these first days we walked upon a carpet of written signs. Daily accounts showed us that the same thing was going on at home, and some of the mothers, in order to save their pavements, and even the crust of their loaves upon which they found words written, made their children presents of paper and pencil. One of these children brought to me one day a little notebook entirely filled with writing, and the mother told me that the child had written all day long and all evening, and had gone to sleep in his bed with the paper and pencil in his hand. This impulsive activity which we could not, in those first days, control, made me think upon the wisdom of nature, who develops the spoken language little by little, letting it go hand in hand with the gradual formation of ideas. Think of what the result would have been, had nature acted imprudently as I had done. Suppose nature had first allowed the human being to gather, by means of the senses, a rich and varied material, and to acquire a store of ideas, and had then completely prepared in him the means for articulate language, saying finally to the child, Mute until that hour? Go speak! The result would have been a species of sudden madness, under the influence of which the child, feeling no restraints, would have burst into an exhausting torrent of the most strange and difficult words. I believe, however, there exists between the two extremes a happy medium which is the true and practical way. We should lead the child more gradually to the conquest of written language, yet we should still have it come as a spontaneous fact, and his work should, from the first, be almost perfect. Figure A. It's a picture of children blindfolded and touching some material. The note says, A. Training the sense of touch. Learning the difference between rough and smooth by running fingers alternately over sandpaper and smooth cardboard. Distinguishing different shapes by fitting geometric insets into place. Distinguishing textures. B. Learning to write and read by touch. The child at the left is tracing sandpaper letters and learning to know them by touch. The boy and girl are making words out of cardboard letters. A. Children touching letters. The child on the left has acquired lightness and delicacy of touch by very thorough preparatory exercises. The one on the right has not had so much training. B. Making words with cardboard on script. End of chapter 17. Description of the method and didactic material used.